Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. Now, get ready to spend the next two hours with four smart, sport-loving ladies. This is Helmets and Heels with Lauren, Donna, Taylor, and Mia, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. On 1010XL. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Victory Tuesday around these parts. You know where it's not Victory Tuesday? Where, Lauren? Nashville, Tennessee. (laughs) They are having conversations up in Nash Vegas about the future of their franchise, who's going to be the quarterback, can they stop anybody, why do they fall apart in the second half around here. We are talking about our franchise quarterback having a day. Yes. Looking like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And the defense defense having a day. Defense (laughs) having takeaways and getting plays from, you know, an assortment of different guys. Mm -hmm. We had a pass rush. My goodness. And other than the first quarter, the Jaguars finally stopped Derrick Henry. Mia, I will tell you, I said this on our show yesterday, on the Fringy Show yesterday, that win to me was better than the 2017 regular season beating of the Steelers. The playoff is different, but as far mm-hmm. as a regular season game goes, that to me was better because we now know the franchise quarterback has been anointed as such. Back in 2017, we were still having questions, even at that point, how good is Blake Bortles? Mm-hmm. Right. I think that part of this, too, has to deal with who the opponent is. Mm-hmm. I think that for sure, the Ste- for whatever the reason, the Jaguars have had the Steelers and the Ravens number. Mm-hmm. If throughout their history, throughout the past 28 years, I mean 29 years, for whatever the reason, they've been able to figure those two, two teams out. But as we know, the Tennessee Titans, not so much. Even in the late 90s, it was the Tennessee Titans. Mm-hmm. That was the thorn in their side. And it's only continued with the kid from up the road in Yulee now taking, ascending to the throne and picking up the baton where, you know, the previous iterations of the Titans left off. And so that's why I think it felt like it was just such an exorcist of, you know, exercising demons and and just breaking free to give a high school musical more G-rated term. Um, Nothing against The Exorcist. I know uh, Taylor loves her scary (laughs) movies. Um, But, but yeah, that's that's why it felt that way. And I actually, uh, you know, saw your email, Lauren, as we were preparing for this show, and I read it to the XL Primetime crew. And, of course, they were like, whoa, 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 not the greatest win ever. But then they started trying to list off other great regular season wins well, I said this century. This so century, that way we're not, we don't have to compare this to the 90s. Correct. Yeah, and yeah. so they were. So they were They were looking at this century since 2000. And Joe kept going back to games in 2017, as well as the Patriots in 2018, which we, of course, reminded him, yes, but that was, yes, the start of a 3 and one quarter of the season mm-hmm. that had everyone convinced this franchise was going to its first Super Bowl. But then, as we know... Well, kind of read into your own press clippings a little too much, and everything went down the drain shortly thereafter. And so, um, and and many people felt that they had, you know, the Jaguars had arrived, and and we had a great philosophical discussion on primetime today as far as like how does this team now? Not that it's a similar situation because they're not even at five hundred, but how does this team now, knowing the performance that Trevor Lawrence just put on tape and knowing the performance their defense put on tape, how do they avoid this thought process of well, now we've arrived, now now everything's going to click. How do they stay focused like that? Well, I think if they look back at the box score from the week before yeah. against the Lions, 40 to 14, you pretty much every other week will bring you back to earth a yeah, little bit. You have certainly not arrived. Uh, and I don't think we have to worry about that because, Taylor, they have 
the potential playoffs in front of them if mm-hmm. they take care of business and if the Titans implode. Yeah, and I agree. And I think that that's why also this was special. And I think a huge part of it was what you said, Lauren, just because it was that, okay, like, Trevor's the guy, and when you flash back to some of those other great wins in 2017 and 2018, they were great, but it was a lot of the defense, and you knew it was a lot of the defense. So still in the back of your head, you had questions of, okay, but is this the guy? Is this the quarterback that's going to take us there? I don't think many people, if anybody, have that question right now with Trevor Lawrence, especially with in these last four or five, six weeks even. Um, there's been moments where it hasn't been perfect, but I, I said to Frank during Crosstalk, okay, this is one of those situations where every time I feel like I have a complaint one week, he fixes that the next week and then doesn't do it again. So everything, and obviously it's not like I'm sitting there talking to Trevor, but obviously Doug seeing, okay, this was a problem, discusses it, and Trevor fixes it. And that, to me, shows a quarterback who is ready to be in the NFL and re- regular, ready to take that next step. But I do think for them it is when you're looking at this and you know like it's it's a rival, it's a rival game, it's a divisional game, it's a, a game that's had your number, you haven't won there since 2013. And to us that probably means more because we've been talking about it since 2013. But they know, Trevor knew how big it would be if, the, if they could go to Tennessee and win. And I think they also knew that there is implications. You get thrown into that graphic in the hunt and the Jags haven't seen that in a while. So I, I think that – for them, it's exciting because now it is meaningful December. You're not just playing for, okay, well, let's get a top five draft pick. Now you're playing because, hey, the Tennessee has blown a few games now, and if they keep doing it a couple more times and the Jags win a couple more times, there's some chances there. Yeah, I have no question if you were to ask me, can Trevor Lawrence win a Super Bowl? Is he talented enough to win a Super Bowl? I have no doubt in my mind that that answer is yes. I never thought Blake Bortles could win a Super yeah. Bowl. I thought he might have enough with Fournette and that, and especially Saxonville at that point in time yeah. to get by to maybe make it to the Super Bowl. But I, I didn't ever think he was talented enough. And, and that's the, the beautiful part about all of it. Doug Peterson, one of my favorite stories from the weekend is the fact that he produced this sizzle reel. Maybe he didn't produce it, Mia, but you know. He had the idea to put together a video to really hone in on how much the Jaguars fan base hates the Titans and the reasons why. Correct. Um, I, I think that what's interesting about that, I'm not saying that Urban Meyer was making those videos every week because I can assure you he was not, and he definitely wasn't doing it himself. Um, but you have to kind of – I don't know if Urban knows what a sizzle reel is. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> you have to pick and choose your spots when it comes to using that as the motivating factor. Sure. And so I think for this to be the game that Doug Peterson tr- chooses to pull that card out of the back of back pocket – is not only a great motivational tactic, but I think culturally it goes back to what this team was in the 90s and brings a lot of players who were toddlers and infants and some not even born back then bring into you know their minds and their frame frame of view what this rivalry has been historically, not just you know the fact that the Jaguars hadn't won in Nashville since 2013. Because I can tell you this, when they hadn't won in L.A., ever they were 0 three correct me if I'm wrong in Southern mm-hmm. California between San Diego um and then yes between San Diego so they were 0 and three in the west coast but I believe it was like in Oakland was like they had three wins there whatever the stat was like with that one it was just it was spoken and it, it also was left unspoken in that they talked about it once and the players were told and it was kind of like yeah I can't believe that's the case but that was a previous team with this one it wasn't even about the well we haven't won in Nashville since 2013 it was you're not supposed to like these guys. Mm-hmm. So 
don't like these guys. Like, I mean, listening to the Arden Key was like, okay, I hate them. Right, exactly. (laughs) Or even listening to Josh Allen, who's been here for three, four years now. Like, how much, I mean, I know Josh knows the history because he is well-versed in Jaguars folklore, but Mm -hmm. like, did he really know the extent? extent, Right, and so that's something that I know, like, Matt Hayes and Joe Cowart keep saying, like, why isn't Leon and why aren't Leon and Fred Taylor and MJD, like, why aren't they bringing them to practice, to talk to the players about how much you hate the Titans and how you need to do X, Y, and Z. I, I think that that card, it's still in the back pocket. Doug Peterson is picking and choosing his spots, but the fact that culturally he chose this is the week to do that, that's what says to me that this thing is headed in the right direction because he is not trying to inundate you, and that's why I brought up Urban off the top. Urban would have been, well, we're not supposed to, we hate, like, it would have just been, hey, hate, like, we hate everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it would have been a piling on of that, whereas with this, it's very strategic in which approach you take for each opponent. Yeah, because if you do that every week, it, it gets it's old. It, it will get, yeah, it will get old at some point. And like you said, that other bringing those players in there, I mean, the potential last game of the season could be a perfect time to do that if it came down to it. So I, I love Doug Peterson, and I think that in everything, on and off the field, and it shows how much the players respect, respect him, like him, and want to play good for him because something like this, they come in and play the absolute, almost every single person probably had their best game or at least a large portion of the offense and defense. Yeah, Doug Peterson, I think he gets – Credit. I don't know if he gets enough credit mm-hmm. for the play calling that's gone so well this season. The fact that Travis Etienne barely had 32 yards and the Jaguars did what they did to the mm-hmm. Titans. To me, there were so many great things about Sunday. One, Taylor, you alluded to this uh, in one of your emails. The Jaguars started off playing pretty ugly football. Mm-hmm. There were penalties. I thought, okay, on Monday when the game first started, on Monday we're going to come in and talk about all the penalties. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about Derrick Henry rushing for 98 <laughs> yeah. yards in the first quarter. Like all Ingram, the things. Ingram dropped one early too where I right, was like. The drop. We right. We're yeah. going to talk about that and yeah. we're going to talk about, oh, what could have been if the Jaguars had been able to take care of business. The fact that they were able to come from behind and win that game, especially the way they started, spoke volumes. That means they, and this is going to sound cliche, but they do trust each other and mm-hmm. they can actually face adversity yeah. and, and overcome. And so, all of that mixed in there, and oh, by the way, yes, we had such a brilliant passing performance by Trevor Lawrence, who it could have been even better, even though it was already record-breaking. It could have been better if there weren't those drops. Yeah. But it was just, it was a tough-nosed game, and it was one of those where you walked away from it going, hell yeah, yeah. like all night. Mm-hmm. Like, not just right then, you didn't walk away and then do the rest of your business yeah, yeah. on Sunday. The whole day you were smiling. And, and by the way, JJ, I have to give you a massive shout out. So I was able to watch the first half on television. And then we were going to a wedding that began at 4 p.m. So we had to get to the venue around 3. And I'm not somebody who ever watches NFL football on my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm always in front of either a TV or I'm in the press box. So I texted JJ Sunday morning and JJ came through. Very welcome. Uh, shame on those people who had a wedding on Sunday at 4 p.m. <laughs> hey, I have to say, though, it could have been worse. It could have been at like 1, 1 or 2 p.m. Yeah. because I was able, like I said, watching there sitting, uh, and for the most part, the game was in hand by the time yeah. things started to happen. It was a little after 4 o'clock when the first kind of bridesmaids and groomsmen started walking down, and I still had the game out at that point in time, and the guy comes, the officiant, is like, hi, we are having an unplugged ceremony, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he saw my phone. 
And then he was like, we just would not like any pictures and please mute your phones. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm golden. <laughs> I can finish this game. I'm just watching football. I don't want pictures. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care about that right now. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, did, or I did feel like the girl from the AT&T commercial, but I was not yelling uh, other than at the very end, I was like, yes. <laughs> and so that that's a lovely thing to hear at the at the wedding. But yeah, I, I will say, JJ, if you're going to get married when, so they picked this date long before the Jaguars schedule came out. And I was like, oh boy, I yeah. just really hope it's an away game. And I hope it's not the same exact time. Yeah. And so it did, it did work out much and better. At, and at least the Jags were winning because if they were losing and you were like, no. And right. Like, exactly. Oh, yeah. She objects. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, luckily by the time the bride got up there, I... The game had ended. Yeah. I was able to put my phone And you away. were just happy. And I was so happy. And, oh, by the way, I brought a couple dresses for the wedding. One was green, very holiday-ish, and the other was leopard print. And so I asked some of the groomsmen, I was like, should I wear this? I was like, I'm nervous. I'm afraid I'm going to jinx us. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, all right, if we're leading at halftime, I'm wearing this dress. We were leading at halftime. You got to wear that dress every Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that I will not be doing. All right. I want to continue the conversation on Trevor Lawrence and the attitude that he showed. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tara Outlet on 1010XL on 92.5 FM. Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers on 1010XL. Mia O'Brien, Taylor Dahl, I'm Lauren Brooks. JJ LaSelva is here as well. Donna Murphy has the night off. She'll be back next week. All right, so Trevor Lawrence has this amazing day. But he also, Taylor, showed some attitude that I think fans have been longing to see. Mm -hmm. The fact that he was waving to the fans when they were leaving. The fact that he pointed to the scoreboard after the kind of scuffle. And, of course, just the way he played overall. To me, he was almost... The perfect quarterback because we got to see that sass from him that we haven't gotten to see yet. Yeah, I loved it. And I think I I put in the email when I was sending it to you guys that this was like the final checkbox for me because I've just wanted to see that. And I I don't like the guys who are, you know, like overly cocky, too arrogant. I don't like that. But I do like to see a little bit of the chippiness, a little bit of he's defending his guys. I love that. A little bit of that, especially against someone like Tennessee when it's your division. And like this is the matchup. For, you know, every you get this twice a year, and to have that but go back and forth is a lot of fun. But there were just so many moments. The first one, I saw the wave. I was like, okay, all right, I see you, Trevor. <laughs> and then it was like a few other things throughout the game, and I was like, okay, I love this, Trevor. And you can just feel like he's getting more comfortable. He's in his element, it feels like, the last few weeks where you're just really seeing him it's his team, and you're really seeing him take over as being the leader of the offense, and little things like that are going to progressively even earn more respect from the offensive line, and you know because the O line's there to protect him, but for him to step up and jump, you know, because it was he like flew over the offensive lineman when you're in victory formation, pretty much, which you can't do that, but for him to jump up and immediately his reaction is to defend his O line, that is going to earn the respect and earn them being like, hey, man, he's got our back. We've got your back, Trevor, which it was wild. I saw the stat that it was the sixth game this season with no sacks. Is that what it was? Which isn't – it's great. Like, I love that. And I was talking about it just on my Bears podcast because Bears obviously has not been that. But I was telling them, I'm like, man, it just – what a difference it made even just bringing in Brandon Sheriff. Like, the leadership that he's brought on that line and how well they've been able to play the majority of the games this season um, is huge. But – yeah, that just goes back to Trevor. I think a lot of people wanted to see that because not that people thought he didn't care, but a lot of people were kind of being like, all right, he's never like real low, but he also is never really high either. And you saw that you saw that this week and it was really fun. 
Yeah, and Mia, I'm glad Taylor brought up the offensive line because that's kind of a, a unit that obviously when something goes wrong, we belabor how bad they play. But when when things are going well, they just kind of get lost in the shuffle. And talk about the fact that you have a rookie center in Luke Fortner, mm-hmm. and he has played magnificently. So, yeah, I think a lot of credit goes to the offensive line as well. Yes, and the stat was posted by the Jaguars social media accounts um, that the Jaguars lead the National Football League with six games in which they have allowed zero sacks. Yeah. When the Jaguars have allowed sacks, they've come in bunches. I'm thinking of the four against the Colts. Mm-hmm. I know there was another game earlier this year where they allowed four in that game. And so, in reality, when you look at their sacks – throughout the course of the season and on an average, I mean, the number is as minuscule as minuscule comes in the National Football League. Yeah. To go six games with, that, with zero sacks is incredible. The one stat I do want to call into play um, is, is the fact that, considering that, the Jaguars also tap out at third worst in the National Football League in pla- pass block win rate. And so that suggests that, yes, sacks can be a quarterback stat. Not entirely on the quarterback, because obviously mm-hmm. the offensive line working as a unit is critical to that. But we even saw last year with a pitiful offensive line, Trevor Lawrence didn't have nearly as many sacks as he would have been tra- traject- projected to have mm-hmm. because he was able to evade that pressure, and it's only gotten better as he's progressed as a quarterback in the National Football League. Um, but some positive vibes. Uh, do you know who has the second worst pass block win rate in the National Football League? I don't know. The Dallas Cowboys. Oh. So that's an interesting one because I, I know a lot of folks on this station have said that, you know, the Cowboys offensive line is is clearly proving itself because mm-hmm. of Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott's performance, the fact that Dak Prescott has come back from injury and not really missed a beat outside of his own boneheaded mistakes and that this offensive line is a bit more elite than the Titans offensive line a week ago, which, as Rick Ballou pointed out to me, uh, there was a Tennessee writer literally last week that penned an article saying that the left tackle for the Titans was statistically the worst left tackle that had ever played oh, yeah, football in the National Football League. Um, so allegedly this offensive line is better that they're going to be going up, that, that the Jaguars will be going up against mm-hmm. this week. But uh, the numbers would suggest maybe not so much. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I think also when you look at Dallas, it's a lot of that's on Dak. Dak Tannehill is not a guy that's going to be getting out of a lot of sacks. And I think Dak probably – Saves himself from some, but also what we do see out of mobile quarterbacks a lot is they take a little more also because they're leaving the pocket quicker. They're having to scramble and run because that's just what they do, especially the younger guys. Dak's done this long enough, so he can control it a little bit. But there are times when you're seeing Dak probably take some sacks that he shouldn't take. The Rams and the Colts have allowed 46 (laughs) sacks this season. That's tied for Mm -hmm. most in all of the NFL. The Jaguars have allowed half that, 23 sacks. The Cowboys... Just 16 sacks. So I don't yeah. think we're going to see necessarily a ton of sacks on Sunday. But I want to go back to Trevor for a little bit more because there were two plays in the game that stood out to me the most. The one was when he, speaking of sacks, avoided the sack and then scrambles around and finds Jamal Agnew. That was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That Those are plays that Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen make. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was when, of course, he scores the touchdown and he runs it in. He keeps it himself. He doesn't hand it off to Travis Etienne. And Doug Peterson said, you know, you'll have to ask him about that because that was not at all. It was supposed to be a read. Yeah, yeah. And so that is, again, him calling his own number. And those are two plays to me that just say, I want to be the guy who puts the team on his back at times. Mm -hmm. And that is just so fantastic that he's talented enough to do that. Yeah. And there were multiple times, multiple, multiple times in this game where I was watching it and I was like, Trevor Lawrence couldn't have placed the ball any better if he walked up and handed it 
too. There was one for Zay, I think, that was just like between two defenders, perfectly mm-hmm. hit his hands, and I was like, you you cannot. I mean, that is just passes that don't happen every day. And like you said, it's things Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen do, stuff like that where there's no question that you're like, yeah, that was a good catch by the wide receiver, but, man, Trevor put it exactly where it needed to go. And this game I saw so many of those plays, which and that was making – I was getting so excited every time. I was like, oh, God, that was beautiful. <laughs> it was. It like made you teary-eyed, those 368 <laughs> passing yards, three touchdowns, no picks. And the, the other thing I think Doug Peterson did too – he understood that and recognized that the Titans' defense is terrible against tight ends. Mm-hmm. So what did he do? He made sure Evan Ingram was going to get the ball mm-hmm. multiple times. And obviously, Evan had a had a fantastic day with two touchdowns and, and now three touchdowns in back-to-back weeks. Well, part of why the Titans have been bad against tight ends is because look at their linebacking core. Um, put David Long on the shelf, and that leaves you with uh, Joe Schobert, former Jag alert. Who was they had there. four former Jaguars. That yes. I rec- that I was like, wait, there's another one. Jeff Swain, <laughs> oh, yeah, Greg Schobert. Mabin. Joe Schobert and there's one more that I can't think of. I'll I'll, yeah, find yeah, I'll come remember. up with it here in a second. But the other li- inside linebacker would be Dylan Cole, um, who yes. is a former Texan for what it's worth, pointed out to me uh, by a good friend of mine that not only did Trevor stiff arm Dylan Cole into sobbing in the locker room post game, but oh, wait for it. Gardner Minshew also once stuffed Dylan Cole with the stiff arm back in 2019 when Cole was a member of the Texans. So, uh, Joe Schobert, you're on the trajectory to be another uh, AFC South lifer, and I'm not really sure you want that because look at Cole. uh, He's been reduced to tears (laughs) after what Trevor Lawrence did to him. So, uh, you may be next if you end up popping up on the Houston Texans. Well, that's and Lauren, going back real quick to Evan Ingram's day because it was – I mentioned it earlier, but obviously Texans up 7-0 quick, and I was kind of like – here we go. Like, this is going to be a long day. Um, Jaguars punt in that next possession they have, and it was because and Ingram ended up dropping a pass, and I was like, oh, here we go. But what I love is that Doug Peterson didn't stop. Like He was like, that's fine. It's a drop. We're going to keep getting you the ball. Yep. And obviously it worked out, but some coaches at that point would have been like, all right, it's not going to happen today. Let's change this and figure out who else we can get the ball to. But he held on to that because, like you said, he knows that that is their one of their biggest weaknesses. And he was – he. I think I even saw him – after that drop, go up to Evan, and it was one of the coaches. I can't remember if it was Doug, but one of them went up, and you can tell they were kind of like, "You're good, like, yeah, just shake it off." Chris Conley, we'll be back out the there. Oh, oh, Chris Conley, Conley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew Which, it was, he started the season on the Texans, player. so I'm seeing a trend here of these <laughs> AFC South lifers just was hopping bouncing. around. As much as we joke about, oh, players leave the Jags and they get better, uh, not if they stay in the AFC South. Yeah. Then they just kind of. They have to leave the division to get better. Yeah, you literally, you truly have to leave the division. Uh, One stat of note. So Trevor Lawrence. love stats. Yes, finished 30 of 42 for 368 yards. But what should be noted is that there were two drops by Evan Ingram. Granted, that was some of the best coverage we saw all day from the Tennessee Titans secondary. Um, Two drops by Zay Jones in the first half. Two passes that were either batted away or they hit his arm. And then one throw away. So... If you do all the math there, and this is this is at this point, so that's two, four, six, so be, seven. Yeah, thirty-seven. That's, seven, of that's seven passes that were beyond him. So he would have been thirty-seven of forty-two. And at this point, because I that all happened in the first half, he would have been twenty-three of twenty-three, mm. or 22, 22 of twenty-three because of the throwaway. I think that's what Gardner was in mm-hmm. the first game he ever played against the Chiefs. I think he was twenty-two of twenty-three, if I remember correctly. Uh, but either way, it was. It was such a fun win, and I'm not done talking about it. We're going to keep talking about the Jacksonville <laughs> Jaguars. We've got our impact players to review. Also, I want to talk about the Cowboys game. Will it be a sellout? JJ, have you seen any secondary tickets for this Cowboys game? 
No, just people on the text line complaining about prices. Okay. I'll That's tell a- you this much. I had a, uh, a friend of the program, one Gary, uh, runs the BCB up in Virginia. He said that season ticket holders and former season ticket holders received emails about single game tickets, and those were priced at 125 So to sit by yourself yeah. amidst a bunch of Cowboys fans is $125 right now. That doesn't so. sound very fun right there. <laughs> Not to sit amongst the couple. <laughs> no. Maybe you'll end up among Jaguar fans because I know tons of Jaguar fans that are trying to come now. Yeah. I I wonder if it's going to be close to a sellout or sold out. That's I was I told a few weeks ago uh, by a member of the ticket sales office mm-hmm. that they are anticipating, granted because of inflation, this will be the not only a sellout, but this will be the most money-making game they have had at TIA Bank Field this century wow. is the expectation. For a regular season game, not including playoffs. Yeah, I, know, yeah. I know a lot of you are like, oh, about the Bills? Not including playoffs. Right. This will yeah. be the highest selling game well, they've ever had. And as we mentioned today, that the Jags are playing meaningful December football. So is Dallas. I just It flashed up on the screen that they could clinch a playoff spot with a win this weekend also. So that would entice Dallas fans to be there also. For what I'm seeing on Ticketmaster right now, $125 for standing room mm-hmm. only. So. Well, uh, you know what? I've I don't been, sit much anyways. <laughs> I've been to Jaguars games by myself. It's fine. You'll still have a blast. Oh, yeah. It'll be fun. By all means. All right. We will keep the Jaguars talk going. You're listening to Homeless and Heels, driven by a tire outlet on 10 to next on 92.5 FM. A Tuesday night tradition in Duval. Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. On 1010XL. Mio, Brian Taylor Dahl, I'm Lauren Brooks, JJ LaSalva making it all happen and playing DJ as always. All right, we've got the Cowboys coming up this Sunday. I want to review our impact players for last week and preview for this week. But Taylor, you are out for this (laughs) exercise. I think that um, because if you listen on a normal basis, every week my picks get hurt or have seven drops or (laughs) something terribly goes wrong. So last week I was like, well, I'm just not even going to really pick anybody and we'll see what happens. But the only thing I said is just someone figure out how to stop Derrick Henry and that everybody actually (laughs) yeah, it took some time, but they got there. In addition to, we saw multiple guys step into that role and figure out how to stop Derrick Henry guys that we haven't seen much from all season. So I think my, um, Opposite game plan worked. (laughs) I think so, too. So we will leave you out of things. Uh, My impact players last week were Josh Allen and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Josh Allen had a better game than Mm. I would say he's had uh, recently, but Trevor Lawrence certainly was the belle of the ball. And so uh, I'll say I got a win for him. Mia, who'd you have? I had... Travis Etienne, that one did not pan out too hot. Um, but then I also had Foley Fadukasi, who got Ooh, his first yes. sack in two years and obviously uh, created some nice pressure and was able mm-hmm. to stop Derrick Henry once the first quarter passed. So uh, good good game for Foley. And I think, and we talked about this a little bit on XL Primetime, like I am a firm believer and in reading John Shipley from Sports Illustrated's write-up as far as snap counts go, I am a firm believer that Trayvon Walker having a hand in the dirt made a difference for this defense, not just because he was able to strip sack Ryan Tannehill that jump spark, jump spark to the entire team, mm-hmm. but also because I, I just firmly believe that you have to get away from this notion of Trayvon has to be a sack getter. He's mm-hmm. going to get sacks. We saw one on Sunday. 
He's going to get sacks that way, though. It's not going to be some great combination of pass rush moves. It's going to be when, with his sheer will and eventually some form of pass rush moves, he is able to create penetration. But at the end of the day, what you really need him to be is a straw that stirs the drink that gets everybody else going. Mm -hmm. I think by Trayvon Walker having the impact on the game he did on Sunday, that's what allowed not just for Josh Allen to end his eight-game sack drought, but for guys like Foley Fadukasi to step up, for Arden Key to once again return to the limelight. I firmly believe that that is how you have to view Trayvon Walker, and I Mm -hmm. understand that's not sexy to not have your number one pick getting all these sacks, but if he's doing what he did on Sunday, I would sign up for that every day and twice on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, if it's opening opportunities for other guys, four different guys got sacks and six different guys had QB hits. Like, that's the numbers you want to see, and if that's what's working, which I think two months ago maybe, Pete Briscoe on the Frangie show said the exact words, get his hand in the dirt and maybe it'll work. And it took a little bit, but they're figuring something out. And I get it. People want him to – you. they want to see 9, 10, 11, 12 sacks from your first-round draft pick. But if he is creating – if he's wreaking havoc and creating chaos and getting other guys to get to the quarterback, then he's doing a job. Yeah, Frank, honestly, when the Jaguars drafted him, was like, I'm not sure he's an outside pass rusher. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure based off of his film at Georgia. And so – the question has always been, can they kind of force him into what they wanted? Mm-hmm. Which, if you wanted an outside pass rusher, then you should have taken Aiden Hutchinson, yeah. not Trayvon Walker. But if you want a very versatile, talented, explosive, powerful, speedy defensive lineman, who's much more, of, I think, going to be a hybrid, then that's who you drafted. Yeah. And, and so, yes, he has, he has a skill set that's very natural. That's just the way he was born those long arms and and that power that explosiveness that's all god given yeah but yes he will learn to be able to be more of what they want or what they will have him do going forward and that is yeah i think they're going to mix it up when they drafted him they said we're only going to play him at one position that's all we're going to do we don't want to overload him but in the end it's we're not going to play him at one position we are going to move him around and we are going to figure out what works best uh, for well, him. and that I, also adds unpredictability for the offenses, too, because if they're yep. coming in here and Trayvon can do multiple things, you have to prepare for Trayvon to do multiple things, and that's when it starts getting really difficult on a offensive coordinator to try to figure out. Yeah. By the way, I forgot Josh Allen had a sack. I don't know how I forgot that. Took so, the fourth quarter. So mm-hmm. I'm, taking, I'm taking a win for both would, of my selections. Uh, JJ, your selections, Christian Kirk and Devin Lloyd. Oh, uh. <laughs> I mean, listen. Devin Lloyd played pretty well, yeah, though. Kirk he did. didn't really do much. No, well, but he, what Lloyd coach, had a bounce back game. Right, and for what Coach Campo said on primetime, JJ, a lot – well, he said this is what good coaches do. A lot of the routes, a lot of the catches that you saw Evan Ingram making are usually positions – are usually in the position where Christian Kirk is. And that's what Coach Campo said good coaches do, is they take what's working for one player and they're able to apply it and adapt it to another player. So – it's a little bit of a win. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, they just changed it up, and they had the tight end making those catches instead of Christian Kirk. So, <laughs> optimism, positive vibes, trying. He said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, when it comes to this Sunday, I will get us started against the Cowboys. I'm going to say Tyson Campbell because I think he's going to have to go up against CeeDee Lamb, who is a massive talent, and I'm also going to take Travis Etienne because I don't know that the Jaguars can beat the Cowboys without Etienne. I know they beat the Titans last week like that with that game plan, but I don't think the Jaguars can beat the Cowboys unless they're a little bit more balanced offensively. 
Taylor. Am I, she's am a, I picking No, she's Lisa not okay. going. No, we're right. She's not going. She's out of the exercise. Oh, wow. She's been kicked out. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I have two secretly in my head. So if this okay, is that's... cursed, then we're really cursed. <laughs> and I'll fill you in next week. All right. I'm going to go. Uh, my first one's going to be Cam Robinson. Because uh, I like for, it. for what it's worth, uh, I know obviously Micah Parsons is the name that gets most of the headlines. But I do think that this Cowboys front four um, – is one of the best that the Jaguars will face, not just have faced this year, but will face throughout the duration of the year. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence is a full-grown man. They've got a lot of interior guys as well. Neville Gallimore, I remember when he was coming out of Oklahoma. He's a guy that can create a lot of pressure as well and can get out in space. So um, so Cam Robinson is my one um, that I think needs to have a big game and have a statement game because, like we said off the top, uh, there is the question of, yes, the Jaguars have had six games with zero sacks, but at the same time, how much of that is Trevor Lawrence making the most of a situation? Which, um, by the way, we haven't even mentioned the fact that he had a sprained toe. He didn't practice no. a couple oh, yeah. times last we'll week. We'll get like, to the injury report. That, that, yeah. But mm-hmm. that even gets glossed over because yeah. he because didn't he played play so like that. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my other uh, – so I, so that's an offensive player. So I'll pick Foye Aluakon as my other um, player that will need to be an impact, make an impact against the Cowboys because I think one of the biggest matchups for the Jaguars is not the number one wide receivers that are – Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb. I think Dalton Schultz going off last week mm-hmm. and knowing that as much as the Jaguars won the game handily against the Titans this past weekend, they did allow for the two tight ends of the t- for the Titans, Austin Hooper and Chig Okonkwo, to both have more than 50 yards in the receiving game. Each had more than five catches. And so I do think that covering tight ends is still a question mark. Mm-hmm. Foye Aluakam, once again, is back to leading the National Football League in tackles. But can he cover those tight ends because I'm not sure the combination of Chad Muma and Devin Lloyd will be able to get it done. So can Foyer be the one making many of the calls, especially if Andre Sisco can't go again, although it does sound like he's trending in the right direction and will return after a two-game absence. And then can he also stop Schultz? I think that's a good question. JJ, who you got? I was going to go Campbell ETN. Oh, um, really? But I'm not because <laughs> that would be boring. So I'll, <laughs> I'll go with uh, Kirk again. Okay. Let's not have two, you know, yep. non-impactful weeks in a row. And Josh Allen, keep it up. Okay. I like it. Uh, Mia, are you ready for the Jaguars injury update? Let's do it. The personal injury attorneys of Farah and Farah present this injury update. Farah and Farah. Jacksonville. Protecting you and your family since 1979. So let's begin with Jaguars rookie outside linebacker slash pass rusher, defensive lineman, whatever we want to call Trayvon Walker. Um, He did leave the game on Sunday with some sort of ankle injury. He was brought into the locker room for evaluation. He did return to the field, although he did not return to the field to play. He was jogging, according to reporters that were on the sidelines, and he was holding his helmet, so he could have gone back into the game. Doug Peterson told reporters yesterday that Trayvon was going to have an MRI yesterday, and he would have more information tomorrow when he meets the media at 10.30 a.m. Doug Peterson also noted that Andre Sisco, more of a day-to-day situation, after he missed his second straight game with a shoulder injury as opposed to a week-to-week situation. Cisco was questionable going into the game. He was evaluated by trainers pregame and once again for a second straight week was ruled out. Trevor Lawrence, after missing practice Wednesday and Thursday last week with that sprained toe, returned to the practice field on Friday and played apparently with no issues on Sunday aside from a little soreness, as he told reporters postgame. Um, he looked okay when he stiff-armed Dylan Cole into oblivion and dove into the end zone, so I think the toe is okay. Chad Muma did miss Sunday's game with an ankle injury. His status remains uncertain, although I will tell you this, about an hour ago the Jaguars did send out their official depth chart 
for this Sunday's game against the Cowboys. Chad Muma is listed as the starter next to Foye Aluakon at inside linebacker. For the mm-hmm. Cowboys, and I see the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures is lighting up with this news, some significant news on the injury front with right tackle Terrence Steele tearing his ACL in Sunday's win over the Houston Texans. He is out for the year, and so now it will be a question of either former All-Pro left tackle Jason Peters stepping in at right tackle with Tyron Smith, all-pro left tackle the Cowboys already had, working his way back from a significant injury. He would be making his first start of the season against the Jaguars if he returns, and then you would have Peters on the right, or you would have Josh Ball at that right tackle position. So some question marks on the edges for this Cowboys offensive line. Additionally, Jonathan Hankins, the six foot two, 320-pound defensive tackle, suffered an injury in Sunday's win, and so he will be out until the playoffs, and so another piece along the defensive front is out for the Dallas Cowboys and some other injury news from their win over the Texans. Defensive end Dorrance Armstrong injured his ankle on the Hail Mary attempt in the final game play of the game. Uh, he was in a walking boot. There is, quote, definitely a chance he could play against the Jags, according to Mike McCarthy. Additionally, rookie tight end Jake Ferguson suffered a head and neck injury, and it is too early to tell if he will play week 15 against the Jags. This has been the Fair and Ferret injury update. Well Man, done. Dallas got beat up against Houston. Well, on the field My and in the box score, too. I know. In the box score, too. And that's what, you know, for me, as I had the, the dual TVs going, I, I just kept looking over there, and I'm like, what is happening? Uh, Houston, I need I need you to think about the tank. I need you to think about Bryce Young right now. Not, not for the sake of the AFC South race, but because if the Cowboys were coming off an embarrassing loss at home to the Houston Texans, yeah, you know that's not what you want to face. Coming in here fired up as all get out. Mm-hmm. As is, they needed a 99-yard drive to win the ball game yeah. and for the Texans to inexplicably somehow some way go for Tank. it on fourth and one <laughs> with 3 minutes left and not get it after Dak Prescott threw an interception on the 10-yard line. Yeah. That set them up for that opportunity. But you you still get the feeling or at least I get the feeling that they're still pissed off. The Cowboys are because oh, they yeah. almost lost. Yeah, to you, like, the worst team in the NFL. At home, right at yeah. home, right. And so you, yeah, you would have much rather them taking care of this yeah. easily and be sleeping on the Jaguars. Yeah, and I think that also with the long list of injuries coming out of that game, some of those guys are probably not very happy either. But I will tell you, even at forty years old, Jason Peters can still do his thing over there, especially when you're only having to do it a couple times a year. Well, so he hasn't <laughs> played right tackle though since two thousand five. a long time. Yeah. Yeah, Which yeah. is crazy to even think because how many of the current guys on either of these rosters was even playing football During like beyond Pee Wee in 2005? <laughs> yeah. Jason Peters was playing right tackle in the National yeah. Football it's League. It's honestly one of my favorite stories because obviously he was on the Bears last year and he was retired and fishing, literally was like at his home fishing and the Bears were like, we need a left tackle, can you come play? And he was like, sure, I need a couple weeks though, I haven't worked out in a while. <laughs> Also, I would just like to say, uh, on behalf of Donna Murphy and I, uh, 40 is not that old, okay? <laughs> well, it's not, but playing left tackle or right tackle, I feel like that's... You're getting um, beat up. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you're Tom right. Brady yeah. sitting your in the joints, pocket. Right, your exactly. Yeah, uh, one quick time. note for Sunday's game, because I do see some submissions uh, on the text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. The uh, $125 solo tickets that we were referencing in the last mm-hmm. segment, those sold out in an hour, so those are no longer available. Um, and then also, as far as parking, goes the Jacksonville Fairgrounds is sold out and the tailgaters parking area is as well it is only Tuesday
Well, folks, you can hitch a ride with uh, Mia because she'll, <laughs> I'll be there bright she'll and early. be there very bright. I don't and early. need a parking. I don't. Thankfully, <laughs> knock on wood. I hope they don't this week. I, usually, I don't need because I have my parking pass for Lot J. Right. Um, but normally, I don't for uh, for the pregame show. So yeah, let's, it, uh, let's I, hope that's the case. I would certainly hope so as well. That is uh, an eight o'clock start for everyone to tune in. And and like we referenced earlier, the Jaguars are officially in the hunt, and that makes December football. Meaningful and important, and this Sunday is going to be a whole lot of fun. All right, we'll go around the NFL and more. You are listening to Helmsley Hills, driven by Tyrell, and on Tentanix on ninety two point five FM. These heels are made for talking. Helmets and heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers on Ten Ten XL. I'll take Fleetwood Mac any Tuesday night. JJ, love it. Well done. All right, let's go around the NFL. Mia, I feel like because of where you're from, you can speak to the Jets and the Giants. Oh, yeah. So well. Oh, so well. What exactly is going on up in... Uh, New Jersey slash New York. Well, we uh, we won't actually reveal the picks that we did on XL Primetime on Friday, but I'm pretty sure if JJ was to go back and find the uh, the audio, I said on Friday, this is the this is where the slide begins. the the all New York Super Bowl it ends in Week 13. And it did because the Giants were absolutely obliterated by the Eagles, 48-22 at MetLife Stadium. Uh, Daniel Jones. And honestly felt like it could have been like (laughs) 65-3. Correct. (laughs) To be completely honest. Correct. Uh, Daniel Jones, 18 of 27 for 169 yards and one touchdown. Uh, Despite Saquon Barkley being available in this game, he had nine carries for 28 yards. So the Eagles defense just absolutely dominated the New York football giants. And part of that is that they just jump out to such early leads that allows for the defense to, or it forces the offense to pin its ears back and the defense gets more pressure. And that's where you see the sack production, even if it's not courtesy of Taylor's former friend or uh, Robert Quinn, uh, who is on injured reserve, former friend, former friend, former friend of the program, (laughs) Um, because uh, obviously his time in Philadelphia, it's still, Figuring yeah. itself out. But yeah. they have enough other Thanks dudes. Thanks for the third rounder. <laughs> hey, exactly. They have enough other dudes on that defense. And moreover, when you look at who their leading tacklers were on Sunday, this Eagles secondary and their linebacking core has been playing just awesome. I mean, here's their top, their top guys in terms of tackles on Sunday. Marcus Epps, Avante Maddox, TJ Edwards, Kayvon Wallace. Darius Slay was sixth. So you are definitively seeing the secondary stepping up in a big way. And, it, I mean, listen, the Giants in terms of their weapons – it's not a very illustrious list. Um, Nick Vanette, Matt Breda, Gary Brightwell, yeah, um, Isaiah Hodgins, Richie James. You're like, huh? Yeah. So it's not like <laughs> well, that's- a, it's not like a bunch of world beaters. But what we saw with this Giants team through the first eight nine games of the Brian Dable, excuse me, era was a team that was winning close games, winning one-score games, simply because they were winning within the margins. They were mm-hmm. winning the game of inches, and now the inches have become feet, and they're not able to handle that because they just don't have that much talent and that was the knock on the Giants going into the season Mm -hmm. so yeah I said that I want to say like three weeks ago where I was like it's going to start when we're not going to keep seeing this Giants team play like how they have I feel like the ball rolled their way several times or whatever the term is for that and it's going to eventually stop because the good teams are going to continue to be good teams and the ones that are kind of getting lucky and scraping by that's going to happen Philly 
defense is insane. I have forty. They have forty nine sacks, fifteen interceptions, eleven forced fumbles. That's and, insane. And what six of those interceptions are Chauncey Gardner Johnson yeah. that they I traded from the New Orleans Saints, and they're going to get their first round pick yeah. for him. Yeah. So the Eagles are once again going to be picking in the top ten, even though they may win the Super Bowl. It's insane. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, I actually do think for all my knocks on Zach Wilson and friends, I do think the Jets are the more talented team playing at MetLife Stadium mm-hmm. currently. Uh, I think the Jets' defense is awesome. I know there's a lot of Jaguar fans that are upset with Quincy Williams' resurgence up in New York. I think it's epic. I think that they're putting their guys in the right spots. I think Robert Sala is an awesome coach. Mm -hmm. I think they have dynamic weapons. I think that if Brees Hall had not torn his ACL, this is a different Jets team that we're talking about. But they're still a quarterback away. Yeah, they still – both of those teams are a quarterback away. Right. And with all due respect to Mike White – Didn't you also say in the show last week that it was – we'll see the end of my – it's going to be like the real – we're going to see the Mike White – that we all know is well, the, well, real the real Mike, Mike White. White please, please stand, stand up. up. Right, yeah. exactly. And while I don't think he got found out, I think Matt Milano may have killed him um, yeah. almost. <laughs> it came very close um, because he had to exit the game twice with rib injuries, yeah. significant shots directly to the ribs in favor of Joe Flacco since Zach Wilson was once again a healthy scratch. So I think that's going to be the bigger question for the Jets as they host the Lions, the mm-hmm. surging Lions this weekend, and then they'll host the Jags <laughs> on Thursday Night Football next week. And so I think the question becomes – I mean, Joe Flacco came in and was one of three for one yard. Um, and, and, the, and yes, the run game with Bam Knight at the helm had, you know, 76 yards. But at the same time, like, I mean, yeah. 76 yards on the ground and then one yard from Joe Flacco with mm-hmm. Mike White out. Like, that's not yeah. going to get you much. So I think now the question becomes, will they make Zach Wilson the backup to Mike White? And what sort of dynamic does that create? And if Mike, yeah. Wilson, if Mike White can't go, then – all of a sudden, Zach again, Zach again. And let's say <laughs> yeah. he, he struggles again. And then what do you do there? And so yeah. I think that there's a lot of deep rooted issues. I think, again, Robert Sala is a good coach. I, I can't commend him enough for the decision to bench Zach Wilson because there's a lot of coaches in the National Football League who mm-hmm. may not have done that. Um, but at the same time, they are still a quarterback away, even after selecting number two in the NFL draft mm-hmm. two years ago and selecting a quarterback. I will give them this. They're two top 10 picks this year may win defensive and offensive rookie of the year in Garrett Wilson and in Sauce Gardner, which is a credit to Joe Douglas, and that's probably what's going to save his job if Zach Wilson truly has to be moved this offseason and he tanks and they're picking another quarterback this year. Which is honestly why I would play Zach Wilson, because I want to know exactly what I have. I already know what I have in Mike White, and I understand every game win-loss matters. I do get that. But this team's not winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. So you need to know if that's if your quarterback was just struggling for a bit mm-hmm. and coming off that injury or if he's truly terrible and you yeah. need a different quarterback. Like that's a huge question yeah. that that they have to answer. Well, and you can look at it and compare it sim- like, compare it to the 2017 Jags because of the defense being so so good and you counting on defensive touchdowns and counting on big sacks and field possession and all of that stuff, p- field position and then also not being totally sure. I think obviously their quarterback I think is even worse than what the Jags had with Bortles because you did see a glimpse of, of Bortles where you're like, okay, this is really good. I don't think we've seen that with Mike White or Zach Wilson to where you're like, okay, maybe there's something there. But they're winning games right now, so you're excited when your football team hap- you know, is winning games and you beat the Bills and you're doing things like that. It's exciting. So there's that little bit of hope, but then once this offseason hits, then they're going to be hit with a whirlwind of, well, now what? Well, I want to hit you guys with this. Josh Allen asked post game if there are issues with this Bills offense. 
because they only put up 20. Mm -hmm. And Josh Allen had to rush for 47 of their 102 rushing yards. And in terms of his receivers, Dawson Knox was the leading receiver with four catches for for 41 yards. Stephon Diggs had three catches for 37 yards. One of those was a 32-yard chunk grab. Mm -hmm. Gabe Davis, three catches for 31 yards. Isaiah McKenzie, three catches for 21 yards. They brought Cole Beasley out of retirement this morning to go be a receiver for them. So my question is, because then Josh Allen was asked if it's, you know, prepared for the playoffs or what have you, and he said no. And at the same time, like, I I do think this Jets defense is a lot better than people give it credit for. I think they're a bad matchup Mm -hmm. for the Bills offense. We'll see what happens in the weeks to come with Buffalo. But, yeah, they're kind of where they were when they lost 9-6 to the Jaguars last year, where Mm -hmm. their offense, where if they can't get a lot of things clicking, it just kind of stalls out. Yeah. Which, and it was a weird week for that to happen, too, because Dallas, it was, I think in a lot of the power rankings you were seeing, they had Dallas, that was Philly and Dallas, and then um, Buffalo, and this week Buffalo jumped up, but I think that was because Dallas could barely beat Houston, so they were like, well, we can't keep Dallas there, so it was a weird week for that to happen, and it kind of helped them, but... I do think Jets' defense is good, and they can be scary. So, And the Bills have uh, Miami at home this Saturday. And the Bears. The Bears <laughs> next Saturday. They'll have like 75 points. The Bengals <laughs> on Monday Night Football, which could be an eye-opener if the offense continues to look the way it is because Cincinnati's offense, even when they struggled like they did in the first quarter this past Sunday, Joe Burrow finds a way. Him mm-hmm. and Jamar Chase, just they just find a way. And then the Patriots on Sunday, January 8th, which I have to bring it up. You guys watched Monday Night Football last night. Mm-hmm. Did you I s- was at a white elephant. So oh, okay. All right. Did you see the image, Taylor, of Joe Judge and Matt Patricia standing next to each other oh, with, yes. their, with their play cards? <laughs> yeah. Just looking at each other like, what do we do now? now? What? <laughs> we should have probably hired an offensive guy to help us run the offense. But they came back and won. Yeah. At least they had that. JJ, I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. Which division is worse, the NFC South or the AFC South? Oh, the NFC South might worse? be like... Okay. Historically, the worst division I've ever seen. <laughs> I only ask, obviously, throwing in the AFC South since nobody wants to win this division either. Uh, but yeah, who's going to win the NFC South? I think Tampa. They could win without, like, even winning a game the rest of the season, which might happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do See, not like it at all. The Bucks should then be kicked out of the playoffs, and the Jaguars should get in. <laughs> yes. It's wild, too, looking at, because you talk about that, but I and I think, obviously, people thought that the Bucks were going to be good, or at least better than what they are, but I don't think anybody had high hopes for the Panthers or the Falcons, and there was a lot of questions around the Saints, and then the Jags, obviously, you know, or in Houston, weren't they weren't confident in either of those. Um, the Colts were a big letdown, so I think that was the one kind of surprise in our division, but the one that was just mega hyped up all offseason was both Wests, and... Other than outside of, like, the Chiefs, obviously, the Chargers we've seen up and down, but they haven't been playing, I think, what people wanted them to play like. And then the 49ers, a lot of those teams are just, like, all right. And that was the the two divisions that everyone was like, man, like, NFC and AFC West are going to be hard to beat, and it just doesn't look like that from top to bottom right now. No, Meanwhile, the AFC East and NFC East are having a rebirth Yes, in both regards. Although, again, if the, uh, if the Jets and Giants both continue to slide – then, you know, at least like, there's at, the East again, <laughs> at least. Well, all right. There's the East again, but at least you wouldn't have three team. You wouldn't have three to four teams from the East divisions making the postseason because up until this past week, if you looked at the playoff picture, mm-hmm. that was going to be the case. Oh, yeah. You were going to have the, Cow- the Eagles winning the division. The Cowboys are a surefire wild card pick. The Giants in Washington sneaking in there. And then in the AFC, 
it would be the Bills or the Dolphins, mm-hmm. and then the other one would be in a wild card position. The Patriots helped themselves last night with that victory over the Cardinals, and then the Jets were still in the playoff picture as well. Yeah, that's so pretty it, wild. It, it's crazy to think. And moreover, <laughs> I love the stat on Monday Night Football last night. This is the latest in a season since I believe they said 2000 that the Patriots have been in last place in the AFC East. Wow. And it's also the latest that, that all does not surprise. And it's no, also the latest no. that all four teams have been above 500, above 500 and in the playoff hunt. Wow. Since 2000. Crazy. 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 The resurgence. It's real. Um, are you guys buying the Detroit Lions? I am. I picked them to beat the Vikings last week. I just thought based off the way they played against the Jaguars, they have really found something. I think Dan Campbell's doing a tremendous job and give Jared Goff credit. Mm-hmm. He was left for dead by the Rams and yeah. playing really good football now. Yeah, yeah, I had the Lions making the playoffs because I honestly thought they were going to be this right away. And so I was more shocked that it they weren't that and it took them weeks to get there. Um, but I personally thought the Lions, and I also, when we had like our guaranteed wins, my guaranteed win was not the Lion, the Jags beating the Lions because I was like, I think the Lions are going to be pretty good this year. Um, I think that there was questions around Goff, but Goff can make things happen, and when you have as many weapons as the Lions do, and that's even with the, their defense was struggling so bad, it's getting a little better, but it's a lot on Goff and their weapons right now getting them through these games. What I'll be curious about is Ben Johnson, their offense coordinator, is expected to garner a lot of head coaching interviews mm-hmm. this offseason. If he departs, what happens then? Because we're seeing perhaps in Buffalo, although I see the text line is trying to point out that the snow in Buffalo, the sleeting rain oh, yeah, this yeah. past weekend was what hindered the Buffalo offense. It did look cold. Not the fact that Brian Dable not being there has affected their stretch run this past this season. Um, At least so, they didn't have to get people to shovel them out of their houses this, <laughs> this hey, time. Positives, positives. Although it is apparently expected to snow uh, this Saturday when it. they host the Dolphins, so that should be fun. Um, but no, I'm curious to see how much, how long the Detroit Lions can sustain this run. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this a flash in the pan? Do they have enough weapons? Do they have enough? like the coaching personnel to continue to evolve this offense because Mm -hmm. presumably with the Los Angeles Rams expected to pick in the top 10 of the NFL draft, they would be in position to also take a quarterback in theory. So what do you do? Or do you say we need to fortify that defense that Mm -hmm. struggled in the early parts of the year? Yeah. The quarterbacks this off season is going to be fascinating between the draft and and which guys go where, and then also the free agency. And Mm -hmm. it seems like more and more teams will be quarterback needy, not just the ones that we already know about, including the Panthers and teams like that. Yeah. I mean, throw the – possibly the Jets, throw the Giants in there. But the Broncos. I mean, are they – the, they- the Broncos may need a quarterback, but they can't but, afford one. Well, heck, I mean, is Kyler Murray going to be moved? Yeah. I mean, do they break up the band in Arizona? Mm-hmm. At, is there – not Didn't to mention – he get a contract extension that had did. that language in it? Yeah. He did. Um, but, but then was taken out of it. Right, and they only oh, yeah. have four wins this year to show for it. And Cliff Kingsbury, maybe as much as he also received the contract, contract extension maybe he's on the hot seat maybe that's the domino that they remove in Arizona to see Mm -hmm. if they can change things and bring in some other whiz kid Um, not to mention you know Los Angeles everybody wants to go to Hollywood right Mm -hmm. who's going to be the Rams quarterback next year yeah I don't know I don't know is it Matthew does Matthew Stafford come back and is he able to once again be a top 10 quarterback at his age and also after suffering essentially two concussions this year that's a major question (laughs) and if he can't is Baker Mayfield the guy? Or are they having to go out and get a quarterback because they don't have a first-round pick? Yeah, I don't think Baker Mayfield is the guy. Certainly, he could prove me wrong. Uh, maybe it was just Gino proved of, us wrong. Yeah, a change of scenery. That what about in Tampa? 
in Tampa, right, and in uh, Green Bay. Yeah. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. are. Is this the final hurrah? It certainly doesn't seem like it for Brady. It yeah. feels like it more for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, yeah. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> All right, when we come back, uh, Mike Leach passed away last night, the former Mississippi State head coach. We'll get to him and a whole lot more. You're listening to Hamilton Hills, driven by Tire Outlet on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. On 1010XL. We're rocking out on this Victory Tuesday as the Jaguars defeated the Titans up in Nashville, 36-22. to I want to get it to college football. I have to tell y'all, I never met Mike Leach, but the moment that I found out that he was in critical condition and, as it was tweeted out, needed a miracle, it really upset me because I feel like I've gotten to know him through the years because of all of the different stories that we've heard and his, his just huge personality that he had and, and all the different aspects of his life that we got to know through his books and and the different interviews and things like that. And so it was really upsetting. And then once I realized that he passed away last night, I guess at that point in time, it's like, man, now we have to really talk about mm-hmm. the legacy that he left and, and who's going to be the next Mississippi State head coach and are those players going to stay that now all of these other dominoes uh, will fall, but, but certainly someone who I think lived life to the fullest oh, and yeah. his curiosity was insatiable. And I loved that. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead, Mia. Oh, I was going to say, uh, the world got a little less interesting today. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's my, my takeaway. <laughs> um, I said this to Taylor and, uh, as we were sitting down, I, I've never seen as much as we, we complain about Twitter sometimes and the cesspool that it can be. I've never logged onto Twitter after someone's passing and like smiled and just felt happy to have had that person on this planet for the 61 years that we did, because mm-hmm. I've never logged on and seen, you know, obviously our condolences to his wife, Sharon and their whole family and the four children, the two of whom had to fly in last night, to say goodbye. I mean, it's a tragic situation, but to log on and see so many people remembering the good times, you don't see that. Mm-hmm. And I know that the uh, E60 clip has been making its way around Twitter where Leach was asked a few years ago, what would you like for your, your obituary, obituary to say? And he said, who cares? I'll be dead, um, <laughs> which is very Leach. Um, but th- this was very some, Leach, very <laughs> Leach, very Leach. But this is which I think is going to like go into like the actual dictionary, let yeah. alone urban dictionary. Um but I think that this is proof that, like, you know, this is, A, why you give people their flowers while they're still alive. But, mm-hmm. B, you know, we appreciate the time we did have with the guy. And my dad texted me this first thing this morning because my dad just turned 62. And kind of scary when you see a guy yeah. at 61 pass so young. But I said to my dad, I said, just think about all he did in 61 years, let alone the last 40, and how many different coaches have been affected by – his teachings Mm -hmm. and his principles like to completely revolutionize the sport of football. And he only started really coaching in 1989 at Iowa Wesleyan. So that's 33 years. That is incredible Mm -hmm. to have done that and to have still been coaching and being at the top of your profession. (laughs) Um, I do want to read sec network, put up uh, the Mike Leach coaching tree. Some of the notable members. I'll read them to you. Um, Dave Aranda, head coach of Baylor, Neil Brown, head coach of West Virginia, Sonny Dykes, head coach of the playoff-bound TCU Horn Frogs. Josh Heupel, the head coach of Tennessee, who also played for Leach and who Leach recruited from some tiny little JUCO 
in Utah where no one would have found him at Snow College, and he brought him to Oklahoma, and they won the national championship. Dana Holgerson, the head coach at Houston. Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, formerly of Texas Tech, his alma mater. Lincoln Riley, another player turned coach of mm-hmm. Mike Leach's. That, like, it's incredible. Name me somebody yeah. else outside of Belichick. And yeah. for what it's worth, I'd put this up against Belichick because these are guys that are, no offense to Belichick, they're succeeding yeah. in college in the National Football League. Yeah, I mean, I think that I was saying that to Mia too earlier where I was like, you you got on Twitter this morning and it was all of just as much as people were sharing the funny clips of things he said from interviews or post games or whatever it may be, uh, just every, every crazy thing that he could have done or said in the time. They were also sharing how much he changed football and that just shows both sides of Mike Leach because rather than it being like, Man, he was kind of crazy and quirky and said all these crazy things. They were like, he was this, but he was also this incredible football coach that changed a lot of And you could talk about all the coaches that he's changed their lives, but the amount of players also that he's probably just completely altered the trajectory of their lives because he was that type of person to do that on and off the football field. Um, but he was also very honest, and I love that. And I think our, our like the world needs more honesty in general. And sometimes, like, one of the clips I saw, I don't know who the girl was interviewing him, but he, she asked him a question um, about, you know, what did when you're looking at that first half of the game, you know, how did you feel about it? Something very generic like that. But his answer was like, well, how did you feel when you looked at it? Because it, like, <laughs> it was just, like, just like that. And to me, he could get away with that. Like, some coaches, I feel like if somebody asked that question, you'd kind of be like, oh, like, you know, that was kind of rude. But for him, you were, she just kind of laughed and was like, all right, thanks, coach. Like, you know, we'll talk to you after half, whatever. Just little things like that that normally – would kind of be looked at and maybe in a negative way for him. It was just him being honest and blunt and like who he was. And I think that that's something that you just don't get often. So people love that, but it was, it was sad obviously because 61 is not old and 61 is the age of our parents, our grandparents that we're, you know, see every day. And so it's a little, it hits close to home for a lot of people. But I think also when you just look at a guy like this and you look at, all right, like he lived his life and he coached and he did things and changed a lot of, changed football, changed kids' lives, changed coaches' lives. So you have to look at it a little bit in a positive light and just say that, okay, like, you know, he, could he have done this for 20 more years and been great at it? Probably, because Mike Leach probably would have, you know. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of good things that came out of this person and people can look at it in that light and also I mean on the medical side of things I mean knowing the limited amount we do about the situation and the fact that he went 10 to 15 minutes without oxygen Mm -hmm. even if they had been able to revive Mike Leach he would not have been the same fully functioning human he would have essentially been a vegetable and that's not him no that's you know and and that that's not who the life he would have wanted to lead I'm sure he would have figured out a way he would have overcome it but I don't think that would have been you know, yeah. the life that he really wants. But it's exciting to hear that Mississippi State will play in their bowl game yeah. um, in Tampa, which, as they noted, the best part about it is there is a pirate ship oh, literally yeah. in the stadium. So Mike is going to make his way there one way or another. So. Fire the cannons. And I also love, too, uh, North Texas hired its new football coach today. <clears throat> um, and that new football coach is Eric Morris, who also comes from the Mike Leach uh, coaching tree. And uh, apparently his nickname when he was Leach's assistant and then a slot receiver at Texas Tech was the Elf. 
Uh, as you guys know, I have an affinity for elf culture. Um, apparently, Leech uh, loved the explanation. Uh, he his his own explanation of this, which was um, Morris exhibits various elf like properties. <laughs> so, uh, so congrats to the elf. Uh, I know Dana Holgerson tweeted as well that uh, there was something beautiful about that happening today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think when someone has that many amazing qualities, it can be hard to say goodbye as quickly as we've had to. Mm-hmm. I, and, and again, we didn't get to know him, but for the people that did, uh, Mia, you were saying that Alyssa Lang, we know the story, certainly we've played it on this show before, uh, that she asked him about weddings at the end of an interview and, and they went back and forth and he was like, oh no, you should elope, you know, all that fun stuff. But you were saying that she was hoping that her fiance and Mike Leach would get together before the wedding so that they could have that as content. Yep, absolutely. Not just as content, but just a story to have for the rest of their lives. And yeah, imagine showing that to your kids. Right. Yeah. And Trevor's obviously a football guy, and I saw his, you know, his tributes to Mike Leach. I mean, this is a loss not just for the college ranks, but the entire football community. Um, and it's just unfortunate that, you know, we'll, we'll never really know. And what's crazier is I have some friends that are in the Starkville, Mississippi media circle Apparently, there was a party with media and boosters and various officials from Mississippi State Saturday night, and Mike Leach was there. And so they were all literally with Mm -hmm. him Saturday, and and then obviously, you know, he suffered the medical episode on Sunday. And, you know, I can't even imagine that situation, like, you know, that— so, I mean, so much that you wouldn't have understood that this was the last time you were going to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it's just one of those things where, you know, don't leave things uns- left unsaid. It stinks that, you know, sometimes timing doesn't work out. But uh, I, uh, I I tweeted it out since we had him on uh, when we were at SEC Media Days this past summer. And he had a lot of fun with our TikToks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he explained to me why a pomegranate is the most underrated fruit <laughs> Um, and so I, I hope you're having a pomegranate, Coach Leach, <laughs> on the big pirate ship in the sky. I think that's well said. All right, we've got one segment to go here on Helmets and Heels, driven by Tyra Outlet on 10 to Next on only 2.5 FM. A Tuesday night tradition in Duval. Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. On 1010XL. One segment to go here on Helmets and Heels, driven by a tire outlet, before we turn it over to Rick Ballou. One subject that I feel like sports talk radio shows in Jacksonville, Florida are not talking about anymore is the World Cup, and it's because the mm-hmm. United States is out. But it still matters. It's still going on. We had a semifinal today, JJ, and Argentina won 3-0 over Croatia. I think people forget that Croatia was actually in the World Cup final four years ago and lost to France. And basically the same team. So yeah. they're, like, really old. I thought they would put up a better fight today. Okay. But after the first goal, it was like the gates just opened, the floodgates opened. Messi had complete control of the game. He looks great, man. Is this a team of destiny? After losing the first game? Right. Like, is this just Messi's World Cup to, like, this is destiny? I don't think they'll win. No, I think France is a lot better than them. Um, But Morocco, the team of destiny. Oh. They're the one who's, like, they're not supposed to be here. Argentina, they've been in the final a lot. They're one of the main teams that you see in this stage of the World Cup every few years, every four years. Morocco, this is the first African team that's ever even been this far. Yep. And it's Morocco that hasn't allowed many goals, too, yeah, right? Yeah, their defense is I think one. pretty yeah, suffocating. Yeah, just one. 
So we've got France-Morocco tomorrow at 2 p.m. and then the finals on Sunday. Which France would have an opportunity to be the first back-to-back World Cup champion since Brazil in 1962 and 1958, which is crazy to think. Um, But then again, when you look at sports pretty much across the board, especially here in the 21st century, and now this stat goes all the way back to the 1960s, but pretty much across the board, outside of the Warriors – who have we really had as repeat champions in any of the major professional sports? Well, you NBA, it happens a lot. NBA, but that's what I'm saying. Outside the heat, of the Heat, the Spurs, right? The I, Lakers, so, so give me the an, Warriors. Right, that's what I'm saying. Give me non-NBA. No, that's it. I mean, the the Pats did it once, yeah. and the Giants had that streak of every other year, and that's kind of been it. So I think, I mean, Lightning had their. Oh, right, okay. that's true. That the Lightning did. Well, mm-hmm. the Mickey Mouse. And but then, that doesn't yeah. happen often in hockey. Like, normally, it, that shifts a lot in hockey. So that was kind of a, that was off. Right, exactly. So that would be an incredible feat as well that no one's really talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. And part of it, too, I mean, part of it is that Mbappe was as old as he was back in 2018. 19 years old. Right, exactly. And this is like France's B team. Right. They've had a ton of injuries, and it just shows how much better they are than everybody else. They've been whooping people with... Even though they didn't look good against England. I think they got outplayed, but England really didn't have a lot of chances. They had a couple penalties. Right. And any time uh, a game goes to penalty, like comes down to penalty kicks. It didn't go to penalty No, I know, kick. but Harry Kane missing. the Didn't he miss the set He missed, a he missed PK the PK in, yeah. in, in the, the game. game. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, well, which obviously would have changed the trajectory, I would think, of the game. Would it not? If he had made the PK. We would have been tied. Right, exactly. So, I mean... Anytime that that happens, that changes the whole course of the rest of the game. I think what's interesting is that Mbappe was 19 years old in 2018. And what is so difficult, I think, about going back to back in the World Cup is it's these four-year cycles. You can't guarantee, number one, who's going to ascend during that four-year stretch, or B, who may get hurt and suddenly can't play. And your roster could look completely different from one World Cup to the next. Or you could have a situation, uh, JJ, like – uh, Gio Reyna and uh, Greg Berhalter's. Uh, Lauren, did you see that situation that one young Gio Reyna had to apologize? Apparently, the United States head coach, Greg Berhalter, the manager, he apparently told Gio on the flight over, basically, that you won't be playing that much. And I guess Gio Reyna didn't take it very well. And that was part of why he also continued to not play him. Gotcha. And uh, I don't know, man. JJ, what did you make of that? I thought it was... I thought it was obviously a manager who knows he's not coming back and he aired all the dirty laundry and that way he could like justify why he didn't play a really good player and it blew up in his face because the player came out immediately and was like, hey, this was supposed to be water under the bridge. He explained exactly what happened and now Burholter looks like an ass and uh, hopefully that'll be the end of him and we don't have to worry <laughs> about him anymore. I think this is finally the one that you can't, say that, hey, everything that happens in this locker room stays in this locker room, and then immediately after the World Cup ends, go to a symposium and tell exactly what happened with the Gio Reyna situation to hundreds of people in an auditorium. Like, this guy can't come back. He totally has lost the team now, and I'm happy it happened. (laughs) It reminds me, Marcus Mariota was told a different story, but... Marcus Mariota was told, you're not starting, and then he just left the team. Like, well, I love that. <laughs> I was like, okay, Which bye. is what Gio was going to do. <laughs> right. I would have felt the same right. way. Like, I understand if you're a squad player, which is like a, a bench player, but Gio Reyna is arguably 
you know, the most talented player on the team. I understand we have a lot of attacking talent, and you would have to bench somebody who's really good. But to say before even training starts for the World Cup that this guy's not going to get a chance to play or he's going to have a small, you know, amount of time to play in these games, that's asinine. It's crazy to me. Like, I understand maybe if you're in training and you're seeing that he's – you know, not fitting into the team dynamic or, you know, you have a position that's already filled or something like that. But before you even start to tell a guy that, it's dumb. I, I don't know why he did that, and I I don't think it cost us. We still got to the round of 16, thankfully. Uh, so, real quick, going back to the World Cup, Taylor, I know you really don't care about this, so yeah. we'll switch it up. I, but I watched my soccer for the next four years. <laughs> yeah, Taylor yeah see you in 2020. We could get Taylor to chime in on this. The text line um, has suggested, courtesy of 0631, Alabama is a team that we saw go back-to-back in the 21st oh. century. Oh, college yes. football. In college yeah. football. Yeah. Um, JJ did give me, at, at, on our during oh our Christmas God. party, some, some in-depth soccer <laughs> lessons, though. She's I was like, I know like, this is a dumb question. <laughs> what's this line? like? Why, what is why it? is there two big squares, and I'm which just, one do you actually kick? And from? honestly, I don't know why there is, like, there's uh, squares within the, you know, penalty box. And I, I don't understand. I guess, like, that's where the goalie puts it for a goal kick. But besides that, I don't really understand why there's extra paint in those boxes so it was a good question <laughs> well thank you someone fill that as <laughs> fill us in yeah I get, i'm not sure why either so who will you root for if it becomes france versus argentina who will you root for uh so my girlfriend is in like a pool with her family and friends yep. of like 20 something people and you just randomly draw a team and that's your team oh and you win 500 bucks Stuff My girl got France. Oh, okay, so wow. we're a France family. Yeah. <laughs> France. A, France ha- a French household. I'm so wa- like, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Wins, is stress. I'm getting a new pair of shoes. At oh. bare minimum, she's taking me out to dinner, shoes, the whole gamut. <laughs> Where so. are you going to dinner? Have you? I don't know, but somewhere expensive. <laughs> are you a shoes guy? Oh, yeah. I don't absolutely. think I ever knew that. It's because I just dress like a homeless person here. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I would just say that you don't dress up. Uh, but but if I was just cheering without the money incentive, right. like yeah. anyone but France, probably. Right. Then you'd probably <laughs> so be opposite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you'd I, probably I be like rooting France. for Morocco tomorrow and then yes. Morocco versus Argentina. I hate France, so yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Uh, but I love France. <laughs> but for money the always money. comes first. I can understand that. I wanted Donna to be here when I told this story. A uh, quick wedding story, uh, the one, the wedding we went to over the weekend in St. Augustine. So I don't know. Have y'all ever been to a wedding? Taylor already knows the story. Have y'all ever been to a wedding where the DJ plays a song and you have to guess the title of the song in order to get your table to eat faster? What? Yes. <laughs> it was music trivia. And How many tables were there? There were 16 tables. And so you got if you're if I feel like that someone, actually causes it to take longer because you have to play a game to even it, start getting not the really food. it actually went very quickly okay. I will say um, did they assign you already to like this is your group of eight or how do they do that? our tables were already assigned and there were ten people at each table and so you had to work together uh, no my table said Lauren go <laughs> <laughs> they said you'll get this before the rest of us. So they sent me on up there, and at the beginning, people were, like, running up, and our table was all the way in the back. So I, like, walked all the way up to where the DJ was. That way I'd be right there. I thought that was smart strategy on my mm-hmm. part, especially because I was wearing heels. 
And so the reason I wanted Donna to be here when I told the story is so the song that I got my table to get to eat uh, faster than we would have because we were like 15 out of 16 as far as table numbers was Elvis Presley's Heartbreak Hotel. And I'm sure that Donna's obsession with Elvis has led to me knowing more Elvis than I probably normally would. And so, yes, my table was thrilled. We got to eat. It was delicious. We got it was to so eat. Fun. But I'd never heard or I've seen that heard. game before. Me either. And I guess they had been in a wedding with that DJ, and he did that game, and they thought it was fun. So that's why they wanted it at their wedding. Yeah, I can say I didn't. I've never had that happen. I can safely say that. Although <laughs> I, I had never heard. I of enjoy it. a good game of trivia. I think so you would have enjoyed it. I do appreciate it. I just hate games at at at. <laughs> Like events like this, like just let me drink. And so eat. we shouldn't do that. I kind of said the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, uh, yeah, I just I'm out on that. Yeah, I kind of said the same thing when Lauren told me. I was like, ah, I don't know. Like, I just kind of want to like let me have my wine and I would eat be my in line food at the and bar talk regardless. Anyways, yeah, but yeah, I will true. say this was the first cocktail hour. Speaking of uh, things I'd never seen before. The cocktail hour, they had servers walking around with cold beers on mm. a tray and glasses of wine on a tray. You didn't even Did you have to take go the tray up. from them. <laughs> I love that. I yes, I was like, now that is the best cocktail hour I've ever seen. Yes. They also had a hors d'oeuvres walked around too, but like, you don't even have to go to the bar yeah, to nice. get a drink. They you just take it that's off of a tray. That's fancy. I was like, this is about to get dangerous. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. This is about to get real dangerous because at least if you have to go to the bar, that like makes you stop what you're doing. Yeah. Like, oh, I just well, stumbled out of my chair. I just <laughs> slow down. Yeah. No, you don't. That's when you're sitting, and then you stand up later, and you're like, oh, yeah, I had many wines. Because it, yeah. <laughs> many would be correct. Uh, all right, Mia, let's get it to a little college basketball. Uh, you said that FSU actually has two wins now? Yes, they do. They Wait, do. Wow. One of them is over Louisville, who doesn't have any wins yet. Uh, yes, you heard that right, folks. Wow. Yeah, Louisville is winless. That's in, like a blue blood. It is indeed a blue blood. That's and better wild. And better yet, my personal favorite is the fact that they went out and they hired Kenny Payne, who uh, was, you know, the bag man for Kentucky, but came across the state lines to uh to join forces over at Louisville to drop some bags and to uh to help ensure the Cardinals would rise back to glory. Um they have not they have not won a game yet this year. All eyes on December 17th though when they host FAMU. That's apparently according to the Louisville media contingent. That that is the earliest one shot. opportunity at a win. <laughs> Although a lot of people have said, wouldn't it be funny if Louisville goes winless in 2022? only to beat Kentucky on December 31st and then turn the page going into 2023. It would be kind of amazing. That would be. It would be amazing. So, yes, uh, indeed, Florida State has picked up its second win of the season. They are now 2-9. and nine. Wow. Um, yeah, how the mighty have fallen in Tallahassee. But, hey, listen, did I tell you guys? I might have said this on the show last year. A good buddy of mine uh, who is a Florida State grad sent me the meme from the Avengers where they're like, you did it. But what did it cost? Yeah, you guys have seen that meme. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everything. Um, well, it, it's you guys did it. You're back to being a good football program. But what did it cost? Our basketball team. <laughs> God, I would trade that in a second. Well, hey, <laughs> and we're good. Good segue. I was JJ. about to say that. Yeah, good segue. The Canes are in the actual AP top twenty-five. Uh, I had them twenty uh, sixth in my poll. So a lot of Canes fans weren't too happy about that. By the way, um, some news alerts um, for the folks who love me as Quick Hitch, driven by Arlington Toyota. Yes, thank you, JJ. We will be 
segueing, we're still going to do Jags, obviously, and we're still going to do NFL throughout the year, but we will be doing once a week a Mia's Quick Hits College Hoops edition. Oh, wow. So that first episode will be dropping on the 1010XL social channels tomorrow morning. So keep an eye out for that because I defend myself as to why I did not put Miami in my poll this week because a lot of uh, a lot of Miami fans came for me on Twitter when they saw my ballot because I put TCU and West Virginia who play in the much more difficult Big 12 at 24 and 25 as opposed to Miami, who again plays in the same conference as two win Florida State and zero win Louisville and three win, four win, four wins now, Syracuse. Um, so yeah, bad year for the ACC, um, but at the top. Seven win Notre Dame. Seven win Notre Dame, <laughs> yes, but they have some that, big, they have some big wins coming, though. Yeah. Yeah. And then some bad, the three losses I feel like have all been to ones where I've been like, Ugh, like right. oh. <laughs> that you're like, how the heck did you yeah. lose to this team? And that kind of speaks to the strength of the conference right now, considering North Carolina was the number one team in the country and then lost four straight. Mm-hmm. And granted, that was to power five teams. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, TCU losing to Arkansas Pine Bluff, mm-hmm. um, which is why they had fallen off my ballot. Um, but yeah, at the top, I do have UConn at number one. Um, and then Virginia and Purdue in the actual AP Top 25. Purdue is the number one team, and then Virginia, then UConn. Um, Watching UConn play Florida last week, Mm -hmm. I mean, everything I had heard about Danny Hurley's squad came true before my eyes. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a team, and then it was kind of funny because— They may win it all. Right. That was Wednesday. I then was calling with Gibby, the Fortegra High School 912 Invitational here in town— and Providence, when we spoke with head coach Jim Martin, longtime head coach of Providence, he described his team this year as we literally have two starting lineups and I can just choose, you know, come on in shifts as if it's hockey because I mm-hmm. go 10 guys deep. That is what UConn is doing. Mm-hmm. And if you have that and their net ranking is number one in college football right now, and apparently the net is college what, basketball, college basketball, yeah. sorry. And that's apparently what people care about. Um, yep. So, uh, so yeah, so that's why they're my number one team. Uh, then Virginia's a little bit banged up right now, but I do think Virginia – especially in light of the tragedy that happened in Charlottesville with the football team to do what they did in Vegas over the Thanksgiving holiday was huge. And granted, they haven't been tested really since then. Um, They're a little bit beat up, but I do think Virginia has proved that it has the mental fortitude to hang with some of the big dogs. Purdue has the front runner for the Wooden Award, which is Zach Eady, who didn't start playing basketball until he was 15. Many regard him as the modern-day Yao Ming. Um, He's the second coming, is what they're calling him. Um, So... As opposed to being a role guy last year, he's actually developed a shot, and it looks like he's not just some freak of nature, like athletic freak, like playing basketball. He yeah. actually looks like a basketball player playing basketball. Um, and then Alabama and Houston round out my top five after Alabama upset Houston last week. I'd like to think that Matthew Driscoll's UNF Ospreys were just preparing Houston. Mm-hmm. They were they were weakening them so that Alabama could come in and <laughs> knock them off finally. So, um, but no, once again, the parody in college basketball is fantastic. Right now, I, I mean, in talking to some of my fellow AP Top 25 voters, it's really hard for them to, you know, nail it down because mm-hmm. you, you never, you don't really know, like, even now we're a month and a half into the season and a lot of these teams have faced each other in the non-conference portion, but mm-hmm. do you really know who's good and who's not good and who's going to come together and who's not? Yeah. Yeah, we're about a month away from when I'll start watching, so <laughs> <laughs> just keep us updated, Mia. <laughs> I but watch- also. I watch my team, and that's it. I watch Florida only at this point. And I do want to address um, the same uh, individual on the text line that reminded us Alabama has gone back-to-back also wants me to address the fact that Alabama has knocked off not one but two number ones. Um, Oh. That's that's great, but um, also remind me. I mean, Alabama's losses aren't bad. My problem with Alabama and Nate Oates is just, like, they are the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde. Mm -hmm. Like, they, I mean, kind of like the Jaguars, I hate to say it. Like, they could literally, like – 
you know, blow the doors off the number one team in the country, and mm-hmm. then the next week they could lose to an lose Arkansas. To right, yeah. lose to an Arkansas Pine <laughs> yeah. Bluff. And so that's why I was a little hesitant to uh, – and I love Nate Oates, but, yeah, their one loss on the season is to UConn, who is the number one team. I'm guessing this is an Alabama so. fan text. I'm us. assuming, yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming. No, so. just a non-biased. There, you better watch out, you better watch out Crimson Tide fans. Uh, maybe you'll end up like Florida State. I don't, I don't think so. What did you have to give up? Our basketball team. Yeah, Alabama has a lot of more resources. All right, that's going to do it for us. Into the Night with Rick Ballou comes up next. For Mia O'Brien, for Taylor Dahl, for J.J. Selva, I'm Lauren Brooks. Donna Murphy will be back with us next week. But don't go anywhere. Keep it right here on Tintin XL and 92.5 FM.